Hello and welcome to a video game odyssey. I'm your host, Fergus Pearson, and today I'll be counting down my personal list of top 10 Zelda games. Game designer Shigeru Miyamoto came up with the idea of the Legend of Zelda series while fondly reminiscing of a childhood spent exploring the caves and forests of the Kyoto countryside. By capturing the equal parts trepidation and wonder he felt during a weekend's exploring and communicating these feelings into a video game, Miyamoto stumbled upon a recipe both to create and elicit feelings of nostalgia. In this regard then, sentimentality is at the heart of Zelda. However, when compiling a list of best Zelda games, one must be wary of that nostalgia. Looking at the Zelda entries through a critical lens, one must both acknowledge and appreciate the sense of childlike wonder Nintendo attempts to evoke in each Zelda game. The player must also remove themselves from it somewhat, allow oneself to identify missed opportunities or areas for improvement. In doing so, my writing stance must change a little. Due to the linking Zelda has with childhood, and with the cyclical design ethos Zelda games hold, wherein ideas, tropes and templates are shared liberally and altered frequently, the order in which the player first makes contact with these tropes also has a profound effect. This is a personal list, yes, but with a professional intent. I cannot remove all bias, and because Nintendo is so good at working their magic, and because that feeling of nostalgia is so integral to the success of Zelda, I cannot be purely objective, nor would I ever want to be. I cannot completely remove myself from the memories I have of playing these games, but nor will I let them govern my decision of their value. For the sake of transparency then, I will now list the order in which I completed each Zelda game, as well as my age at that time, and the somewhat approximate number of times I've completed each game. Link to the Past Played age 11, I've completed this game three times. Ocarina of Time Played age 12, I've completed this game four times. Wind Waker, played age 13, I've completed this game four times. Minish Cap, played aged 14, I've completed this game two times. The Legend of Zelda, played age 14, I've completed this game two times. Majora's Mask, played aged 15, I've completed this game three times. Four Swords Adventures, played aged 15, I've completed this game two times. Twilight Princess, Played age 16, I've completed this game four times. Phantom Hourglass. Played age 18, I've completed this game two times. Link's Awakening. Played age 18, I've completed this game three times. Zelda 2. Played age 19, I've completed this game only once, using an emulator with save states in the latter portions of the game. Oracle of Seasons. Played age 20, I've completed this game two times. Skyward Sword. Played age 22, I've completed this game two times. Spirit Tracks. Played age 23, I've completed this game two times. Oracle of Ages. Played age 23, I've completed this game two times. And finally, A Link Between Worlds. Played age 24, I've completed this game three times. Okay, now that the formalities are out of the way, let's start with the countdown. Number 10. The Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap.
a strong contender for the most forgotten game in the Zelda series, Minish Cap does a lot to break away from its handheld siblings. It ditches A Link to the Past as the natural jumping off point for a top-down adventure and instead takes inspiration from more recent entries, chiefly Majora's Mask and Wind Waker, utilising the transformation dynamic and vibrant visual style respectively. Minish Cap also predates Skyward Sword, offering an origin story to how Link acquired his pointed green hat. However, unlike the sterile drones of Fi, the sole of Link's hat expresses a more grouchy, almost acerbic tone, as well as offering a refreshing counter to the often overbearing agent that aids Link on his travels, the magic hat Elza also allows Link to shrink down to the size of a common house insect when activated in one of Hyrule's many tree stumps. Doing so allows Link to venture in luscious undergrowth, squeeze through small cracks and walls, and be ambushed by common enemies such as Octoroks that now dwarf our enemy and must be treated within boss encounter conditions. Like many other handheld Zelda games, there is a breeziness to proceedings that lends the game a jaunty pace. However, much like the mythical Picori, the race that tended to the minuscule concerns of Hyrule, the magic of Minish Cap is in its tiny details. The introduction of the role mechanic makes fights much more urgent and dynamic. Familiar settings such as swamps and dusty cliff tops are made anew due to the variety of unique ways Link travels to and through them, while the somewhat truncated Kinstone side questing is delivered in such a way as to force the player to seek out and interact with miscellaneous villagers whose dialogue and expressive sprite work makes them far more memorable than they have any right to be. Minish Cap is all about discovering big surprises and small packages, and this ethos runs through its off-world and dungeon designs the former segmenting the land off into distinct vignettes, and the latter being the smallest in the series, showcasing what is new and what works, and abandoning the rest. At moments it feels free from series rhetoric, revelling in the dastardly plans of new villain Vati, while in other moments the game's breathless pace can make this outing feel more like a whistle-stop tour of good ideas, rather than a cohesive experience. It invests so heavily in the isolated inner workings of its few and impressive set pieces that it can often forget to really challenge the player or build upon some of its most inviting premises. Minish Cap may be standing on the shoulders of giants, but it still has some big and clever ideas of its own. Try this Zelda game if you want fully realised, pre-dungeon areas and a hand-drawn art style. Number 9, Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Seasons. Released as part of a pair, Oracle of Ages and Seasons focused on puzzles and action, respectively, all while taking heavy inspiration from both A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. Though both games were launched simultaneously and share similar opening scenes, music and art assets, due to the fact that each game has its own themes, dungeons, maps and items, they will be treated here as two separate entries. In Seasons, the more action-orientated of the duo, Link gains the ability to command between summer, winter, spring and autumn, each with their own colour variants and light environmental shifts. This season swapping is introduced early on in what is a deliberately plot-sparse venture. The fractured subterranean lands of Suborosia, 
fulfill the dual world gimmick established in previous Zelda games, but here emphasis is placed less on intricate spatial puzzles and more on humorous interactions that lead the underground inhabitants into smelting, link, iron-based swords and shields. Bosses are embellished forms of those found in the original Zelda, and it takes up to halfway through the game before it sees fit to introduce some of the more challenging puzzle elements Zelda is known for. Even then, with items such as the ingenious and criminally overlooked magnetic gloves, developers' flagship have constructed labyrinths that are more about strength and precision, rather than prolonged tinkering and ruminating. Fours hit hard and hit fast, with many rooms serving merely as large areas in which to test the player's swordplay. However, while some of the latter dungeons and bosses do reveal a more intricately designed game, so much of Oracle of Seasons seems to be directed towards hectic fun. Its few fun side diversions and to the point map and dungeon layout speak of a Zelda game geared towards being burnt through in a weekend, while its emphasis on gauntlets of foes and hack and slash gameplay act as a precursor to the more arcade-centric Four Swords adventures. Oracle of Seasons' central weather-wielding premise may hint at something deeper and more complex, but when Flagship tasked themselves with offering fans two opposing playstyles, they gave themselves license to just have fun with the Zelda universe, and with it create what could be considered the most accessible Zelda game to date. Try this Zelda if you want an action-orientated experience or are new to the Zelda series. Number 8, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. After juggling more complex and challenging themes and art styles in Majora's Mask and Wind Waker respectively, Nintendo decided that, in Twilight Princess, they would concentrate on revisiting rather than reinventing past successes. This meant the return of Hyrule Field, the return of Adult Link, and the return to an art direction more closely linked with Western, Tolkien-esque fantasy. While it could be argued that every Zelda game is purposefully built on an iterative set of design mechanics and narrative templates, there is a feeling that Twilight Princess lost something important while embellishing the series' past successes. Its inspirations are drawn so clearly and its attempts to divert from the pack can often feel unconvincing. Take, for example, Twilight Princess's tone, which, while being more overtly dark and dramatic in comparison to other Zelda games, can end up making Hyrule a difficult place to relate to and whose murky themes translate into an overtly drab and uninspiring colour palette made up of washed out greens and muddy browns. The Twilight Realm, again lifted from the dual world that existed in Link to Past and Ocarina of Time before it, fails to meet expectations set by its forebearers. The Twilight Realm feels far too removed from the rest of the game. The heavy filter used in the realm can make every region feel visually indistinct, and the fact that the vast majority of realm hopping is reserved when the narrative calls for it leaves little incentive for the player to become invested in the supposedly moody and mythical realm. That being said, there is a lot to enjoy in Twilight Princess. Cutscenes are dynamic and cinematic, breathing new life into what is ultimately a tried and true plot. 
Midna, Link's now mandatory guide, is one of the most enigmatic characters seen in the Zelda universe, and comes with a slowly unravelling narrative arc that makes brilliant use of her. Meanwhile, dungeon designs, while a little too by the numbers, nonetheless come equipped with a fantastic, escalating difficulty curve. In fact, the most enjoyable moments of Twilight Princess are spent in the game's dungeons and boss fights. Whether it's zipping through impressive 3D structures and City in the Sky, equipped with double claw shots, or settling scores with King Bulblin, when Twilight Princess settles into a groove, it can be enthralling to play. Combat is another highlight, melding Wind Waker's counter-attack system with the precision aiming of bows and hook shots afforded by the Wii Remote. Taking around 35 hours to complete, Twilight Princess is possibly Zelda's most content-rich game to date, and the majority of what is presented to the player is engaging and well-designed. It's a shame, then, that the game can at times feel as though it's leaning too heavily on what went before it, and that some of Twilight Princess's more unique ideas don't have enough room to breathe to truly captivate. Try this Zelda if you want a cinematic experience or a content-rich game. Number 7. Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past Following the unorthodox sequel in Zelda 2, A Link to the Past is the game that cemented the tropes now cherished by the series' fans. Here, not only was substantial groundwork laid to set up the franchise's lore, but A Link to the Past is an invigorating journey in its own right. Looking back retrospectively upon A Link to the Past, an interesting observation can be made. This game actually feels fairly encumbered. As years have gone on, Nintendo have made a concerted effort to distinguish the gameplay between 2D and 3D Zelda games. The three-dimensional installments pride themselves on methodical pacing, a heavy focus on combat and enemy variety, as well as placing emphasis on the villagers, characters and side quests that fill the overworld. However, as time has gone on, Nintendo has honed the top-down Zelda into something more kinetic and instantaneous. Link merely needs to rush most enemies, while the narrative takes a backseat in an effort for the game to maintain its brisk pace. However, A Link to the Past does not neatly fit into either of these two dichotomies. It sits simple hack-and-slash-inspired combat with a strong, towering story regarding multiple villains and multiple realms. It presents streamlined dungeon designs, and yet equips Link with an inventory screen full of needless tat. From the perspective of someone who has been conditioned to expect a certain gameplay style from a top-down Zelda game, returning to A Link to the Past can feel like a less than smooth transition. Aside from that though, A Link to the Past is a very enjoyable and almost compulsive romp. The game is at its best when it's exploring the depths of Hyrule, when unwittingly entering side objectives, or during moments when unearthing some new equipment to kit Link out with. Townsfolk are mostly forgettable, while many of the dungeons eventually blur into one. Though, to compensate, Nintendo have gifted the player with the series' most intricately designed Hyrule. Whether combing the light world, or intrepidly venturing into the dark world, the map layout never fails to properly signpost the player, to hint at what's to come, and, to those persistent, reward the player with rupees and tertiary items. 
Try this Zelda game if you want to explore a meticulously designed overworld and an expansive set of optional inventory. Number 6. Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask A Zelda game that sees the vast majority of its assets made up of repurposed ones found in previous instalments, a 3 day time mechanic that tasks the player with recording and acting upon a series of cyclical events, themes of fate and mortality expanded into a beguiling and convincing fan theory regarding the game being a manifestation of Link's restless spirit following his death after Ocarina of Time, a game where the fallen souls of Dekus, Zoras and Gorons live on through an ingenious transformation mechanic that grants the player the power of their favourite tribes. This is the unmistakable Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask's status as niche, or as something only the most dedicated fan of Zelda can truly appreciate, is born out of a level of commitment that the game asks from the player right from its opening scene. Much like the Japanese version of Super Mario Bros. 2, there is a strong sense that Majora's Mask is designed purely for those who have mastered what's come before and are primed for a new challenge. The time between player investment and game payoff is at its most drawn out, and one false move in the overworld can see the player quickly introduced to the game over screen. More so than the actual master quest from which the game was birthed, Majora's Mask feels like a natural extension of Ocarina of Time. It assumes a lot from the player, and wastes little effort before scrutinising them with timed events. However, this reading of Majora's Mask as extension of Ocarina of Time spans beyond the game's challenge level and complex time mechanics. Familiar NPCs litter the game, providing similar services to what they did before. This punctuates the game with a distinct sense of eeriness, one in which the game relies upon to redress and elevate overly familiar mechanics, art assets and environments into something far more intriguing. This is partly why the game is so divisive, its enjoyment is based primarily upon the player's ability to appreciate the game's challenge level and ability to engage with the game's themes so that this jump in difficulty and the heavy recycling of ideas are seen as purposeful commentary on the Zelda formula, rather than somewhat poor implementation of that formula. Though, even if you adore the mood and bravado that Majora's Mask exudes, such qualities can only do so much. The scorn felt when making it halfway through a dungeon only to realise that the player has to reset the 3 day cycle can be hard to forgive. As can the fact that the simple completing of any task often requires an unhealthy degree of repetition, no matter how purposeful. On the whole then, Majora's Mask is an easy game to appreciate, to marvel at from a distance. However, such plaudits come at the cost of what can often be the series' least satisfying minute-to-minute -minute gameplay. Try the Zelda game if you want an emphasis on atmosphere, or an expansive set of detailed side quests. Number 5. Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages
Released alongside its season-swapping brother, Oracle of Ages centres around puzzle-solving and narrative-driven character interactions. Just as with Oracle of Seasons, Ages draws from the music, art assets and overall structure of A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, but with an emphasis on a more methodical, thoughtful method of play. If Oracle of Seasons was the best choice for Zelda newcomers, Ages tasks itself with further honing the deductive skills and spatial interplay Zelda veterans have come to cherish. The opening narrative closely resembles that of Seasons, however, as time runs on it becomes clear that Oracle of Ages is attempting a more varied tone, transitioning from comedy and farce to moments of sombre reflection. Meanwhile, in Ralph and Varen, Ages introduces two of the most interesting character arcs to be bestowed upon a top-down Zelda. Similarly, if Seasons was designed to be burnt through in a long weekend, the conundrums of problem-solving mechanics presented in Ages are best left to ruminate in the player's mind, hoping that a fresh perspective several days later will help the player unravel Oracle of Ages' inner mysteries. Though jumping between realms or time periods is nothing new to the series, its potential is fully realised here, demanding the player think laterally as well as causally and spatially. Ages is a game that is not afraid to let its players get stuck, to have them literally stranded on a desert island halfway through the game with only their wits to save them and none of the overworld's whistles and bells to distract them. More so than even Skyward Sword, Oracle of Ages blurs the line between Dungeon Precursor and the Dungeon Actual. The game embodies a focused, somewhat stubborn and occasionally infuriating method, wherein completing one puzzle does not guarantee progress, but does provide another layer of intrigue and brain-teasing for Link, and the player to burrow into. Ages then offers little new, though as none of Seasons as weather manipulating or magnetic glove gallivanting to be had. Instead, the game drills deeper into old mechanics and tropes, extracting a greater level of challenge and reward not seen in most Zelda games. Try this Zelda game if you want a puzzle-focused experience or want a more demanding Zelda experience. Number 4. Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time Often placed atop a list of greatest or most important video games of the 20th century, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time can be a difficult game to summarise and pay credit to within the confines of this list. Released some seven years after Link's previous console outing, the game sports the more methodical pace, greater emphasis on puzzle solving and refocusing on helping neighbouring villagers that fans have come to expect from a 3D Zelda entry. However, back in 1998, many of the templates set out of how a 3D Zelda would play out were not yet established. While, like in Super Mario 64 before it, many of the enemies and challenges found in the series were due an overhaul should they be implemented successfully into a 3D game. What's fantastic though is that, despite being a grand 30 plus hour epic, all of these concerns are addressed within the opening sequence of events. Link is not guided to his first dungeon by an omnipotent voice. Instead, he must make friendly with the locals and closely survey his surroundings to smart his way to the dungeon's entrance. Dungeon rooms are less about smashing oncoming floating tiles and smiting enemies, and more about exploring the Y-axis to find ladders to dislodge or spiders to avoid. 
The first dungeon's central mechanic of jumping from the highest point onto a springy web is less a battle of brawl and more a delicate interplay of resources and observations. Yet, to keep this romantic notion of how Ocarina of Time eased the player into a new form of playstyle, one would have to ignore the incessant jabbering of Navi, Link's first of many annoying companions. Ocarina of Time is an infinitely more complex game than its predecessors in terms of scope, mechanics and controls, and therein lies the worry that all of Nintendo's red herrings and elegant game design would not translate into a three-dimensional space. Thus, Navi is born, and, despite the stunning vistas of Hyrule, a certain sense of freedom, a feeling that makes Zelda games so special, is lost. Some elements of organic discovery are replaced by intrusive tutorialising, while boss battles become less about timing and skill and more about deducing Navi's bestiary bios into a plan of action. That being said, a degree of hand-holding may be needed when the game houses some of the trickiest, most ingenious and convoluted dungeon puzzles to ever grace the series. Though a hurdle at first, the extra dimension allows Nintendo to create spatial awareness testers such as the Water Temple, and, along with the infectious soundtrack, turn the Goron native Death Mountain into the environment that is simply a joy to explore. A certain level of kinetic energy and economic design may have been lost in the translation between top-down to third-person adventure, but what was gained was a story far more engaging. A doomed Hyrule seeped in enough dread to make even the most passive of players determined to see Ganon's demise. A catalogue of spatial puzzles that rewards perseverance, and a combat system that demands patience. Ocarina of Time asks the player to take a slower pace than what fans have come to expect, but it also made the experience so much more enthralling for those willing to put in that extra commitment. Try this Zelda if you want intelligent and thematically pronounced dungeons, or a more linear and methodically paced Zelda experience. Number 3. Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening As mentioned previously on this countdown, 2D and 3D Zeldas have come to satisfy two variant styles of play. The former's expectations for focusing on a snappier, more streamlined experience were cemented here in Link's Awakening, when Nintendo tasked themselves with converting a Zelda-sized adventure onto a small grey Game Boy cartridge. Link's Awakening trims some of the fat from A Link to the Past, comes equipped with a jovial cast of islanders and utilises its brevity and economical design to help express a tone that can effortlessly transition from refreshingly spry to something more sombre. This narrative retains Zelda tropes, but sends them off into new directions. The overworld is inviting, and the boomerang, a mainstay in Link's bag of tricks, is rewarded for completing an optional string of fetch quests that would feel tedious if each piece of the puzzle weren't presented in such a silly, almost LucasArts point-and-click style fashion. Part of what makes Link's Awakening so endearing is that it is able to play both to and against Zelda conventions while embracing a breezy nature. Link's Awakening harks back to Zelda 2 with some side-scrolling segments, though twists this homage a little by including Goombas and makeshift swamps. Early on, Link is also kitted out with a Super Mario World-style feather cape that allows him to jump, greatly broadening puzzle and traversal options. Meanwhile, partway through the game, the player must walk a neighbour's pet chain chomp, 
a companion with a penchant for eating large, previously obtrusive flowers and small pond fish whose surfacing pointed fins allows them to masquerade as sharks. When pitting Zelda games against one another for the sake of an argument, passionate discussion, or, in this case, a podcast episode, attention can easily be placed on what each instalment does new or what is quantifiable, such as the number of dungeons or useful items each game possesses. In this regard, it could be argued that Link's Awakening has little to offer. However, players who have had the pleasure of investing sufficient time in this earnest title are rewarded with something a little more ethereal. A game that exudes an accessible and infectious sense of briskness and humour that permeates through every element of the game. Try this Zelda game if you want an accessible tone or plan to play in short bursts. Number 2. Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds Coming off the back of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, two portable adventures that watered down the Wind Wake experience into something technically admirable, though mechanically middling, it seems as though Link's next handheld outing was equally satisfied with treading similar ground, this time acting as a sequel of sorts to 1991's Link to the Past. However, while the previously mentioned DS games appeared to take a surface reading of what made Wind Waker so captivating, this 3DS instalment goes to great lengths to rework and reimagine, rather than merely embellish, what originally captivated the player's imagination in A Link to the Past. So, just as before, exploration and upgrading equipment is placed at the forefront, while dungeons take second fiddle to an overarching meta-construction of the overworld. Each of these elements have received more than a facelift though, from the game's second quarter, items can be bought or rented at any point and in any order, allowing for dungeons to be tackled without a clear sequence and granting the player a level of freedom not seen since the series' original inception. Dungeon specific items are instead replaced by permanent upgrades. Meanwhile, equipment can be given added oomph upon collecting 10 out of 100 infant sea creatures that have managed to get themselves lodged and wedged into all corners of this tightly designed, barely altered depiction of Hyrule, first seen on the Super Nintendo. An impressive degree of effort and care has been given to making this game portable and reworking the margins of A Link to the Past's gameplay to help accentuate the more active, short burst playstyle of 2D Zeldas, wherein now precious rupees can be scavenged, sea creatures can be unearthed, and time can be spent exploring the segmented spatial puzzle oriented dark world within a brief 20 minute play session. In fact, above everything else, above the economically designed maps, Beyond the newfound freedom allowed within the clever item rental mechanic, a link between worlds' greatest achievement is in its pacing. No other Zelda game pictures its story beats so precisely, signposts its puzzles in such an inviting yet alluring way, or allows the player to accomplish so much in such a little time. It is the fullest vision of what a top-down Zelda game can be. Try this Zelda game if you want a re-emphasis on exploration, 
or enjoy optional item upgrades. Number 1. Legend of Zelda Wind Waker With Nintendo, again, either too intrepid or too restless to follow up Ocarina of Time, in Wind Waker, like Majora's Mask before it, the developers have created a Zelda game that removes itself from being compared to that fated N64 entry. It does this by doing away with Hyrule Field, casting aside the semi-realistic art style, abandoning Adult Link, and greatly reducing moments of brooding and horror in favour of the open seas, a soul-shaded aesthetic, an impressive young Link, and plenty of oddball characters and slapstick enemy animations. While the original Zelda and the 3DS's A Link Between Worlds allow for the most player freedom seen in a Zelda game, Wind Worker certainly feels like the most freeing. It pervades a romantic sense of adventure. There is a twinkle of mischief in Link's bold eyes as he signals to the player some out of reach treasure. A weighing sense of responsibility as Link first waves his grandmother goodbye and an overwhelming calm as the player sails off into the sunset, not entirely sure of where the wind will take them, but knowing that there is still more to discover. Upon completing the game, the player may realise that few of the game's islands hold tangible, fundamental or narrative reward, fewer still being home to the game's fun but often unremarkable dungeons. Meanwhile, those wanting to power through the comparatively short runtime of Wind Waker may grow tired of the mandatory sailing sections, remarking at how Nintendo purposefully makes the player travel from one end of the map to the next just to fulfil a menial task in the story. However, that's exactly the point. The developers have purposefully made the journey from point A to point B as drawn out as possible. Not for the sake of padding though, but instead to encourage the player to explore to grow impatient and organically fall upon one of Wind Waker's many interesting mini-games, colourful cast members, or descend into a gauntlet of rupee hoarding hostiles. This loose and relaxed approach is also evident in the game's overall fighting system. Link must bait foes into foolishly striking first, where in doing so leaves the victim vulnerable to a playful pirouette of sword swipes, with the dynamic swelling soundtrack punctuating each jab, leap and dive. More so than any other cel-shaded game of its time, Wind Waker truly embraces the theatrics that this art direction affords. Upon backslashing a foe mid-counter, once large formidable enemies dance around feebly holding their strucken backsides, while a mistimed jump into lava sees Link's face scrunch up as he too attempts to protect himself. In these cases, Wind Waker not only showcases the aesthetics of a cel-animated cartoon, but it also utilises the school of cues and visual language to create a world that always feels as though it is in motion. Whether it be from the exaggerated white lines of wind filling the sky and letting the player know the best way to set sail, or whether it be from the sound of violin strings being plucked as Link slowly tiptoes closer to the unwitting Choo Choo, a slime-like creature that must be harvested to make potions. 
This appetite for the dramatic and the comic makes Wind Waker feel more believable than two dozen more islands filled with gear and equipment ever could. It transforms Link's journey from mere hero's quest fodder to an emotional trial of wits and courage. It turns the people who aid Link in his adventure from the standard ancestors of royal Hylian bloodline into something more personal, villagers who appear almost too vulnerable to rise to fate's expectations. Wind Waker may be the smallest of all the 3D Zelda entries, but it is also the sweetest. Try this Zelda game if you want an inviting and vast overworld or an expressive art direction. So there we have it, Wind Waker stands atop this list because it wields the sacred blade of nostalgia with greater purpose than any other Zelda game. It both has the most trusty control over eliciting and creating nostalgia, while also giving the player the right amount of control to make their own journey feel spontaneous and personal. Because these games have the ability to build strong personal relationships with their player, I want to hear what your favourite Zelda games are and why. This has been Fergus Pearson for A Video Game Odyssey. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to either subscribe or review on iTunes, like, comment and subscribe on YouTube, or leave me a message or following on Twitter or SoundCloud. Anything you can do to support the show will be a huge help. Any feedback or follows will help the show grow and allow it to reach new listeners. Thank you.